he really got me. You know, I think it's because he was gay. Got the nuances more. get me a gay mickey gotta get a gay hello and welcome to another episode of in the details a celebration of nuance where each episode i clean out on all of the acting choices micro moments and magic and the minutiae that make a scene great my name is colin drucker your name is barbara bell gettys and hi hello welcome back uh we are here this week to continue the conversation uh i i I pause because Marco is my Marco, my cat. If you don't know, I have a cat named Marco. I don't know what rock you've been under, uh, but he's eating dry food right now, merely feet away. So I hope that's getting picked up on the mic. Um, but that's not actually what we're here to talk about today. Uh, today, we are here to kind of continue the conversation or create the companion episode to uh, the exquisite agony of Christine Penmark with more discussion of of phenomenal and actually genuinely phenomenal acting in The Bad Seed. Uh, if you did not listen to the last episode celebrating the wild overacting of Nancy Kelly as Christine Penmark, I recommend it because I recorded it. Why would I not recommend it? But I think it's a good kind of point of comparison when we talk about Mrs. Daigle as played by Oscar nominee, Tony nominee, and Golden Globe winner Eileen Hecker, who is... You know, one of the things that I was kind of going back to again and again with Nancy Kelly last episode was that there are moments that I love in quotes of her performance. You know, like there are moments that are so over the top and have not been modified for the, for a movie version from the stage version. And and while I love that, I can objectively say mm, that choice you know, that doesn't, those are not your shoes. Like that, though, that does not fit. You know, I can, I can objectively say that and see that, but it's also kind of why I love it. Cause it is, it is too big. But then we get to Mrs. Daigle, Claude Daigle's mother, Claude Daigle, the little boy that wrote a Penmark kills Mrs. Daigle, who has two scenes in the movie, um, where she comes to the Penmark's apartment, uh, in a drunken state and, and just steals the whole fucking show. I mean, it's, it's kind of fascinating that she, Eileen Heckert has to play drunk the entire time she's in the movie, which is about 10, 10 minutes total, I think. And, and yet find all of these levels within the drunkenness. And I think there's, there's a couple challenges there. I think, first of all, playing drunk is phenomenally difficult. And I don't say that as an actor. I'm not an actor. I don't want to be an actor. I never do want to be an actor. Uh, I just like talking about acting and watching acting and examining acting. And so uh, I say all this from the sidelines, but like I've seen a lot of play and drunk at different levels, people on Broadway, people in college productions, like it's a thing, you know, uh, I even wrote a play once that got produced and included people playing drunk. Like I, 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 I included myself in that, in the world of people playing drunk uh, or at least creating those opportunities for people to play drunk. And it is largely unconvincing, you know? Like, I think any of us can can attest to performances we've seen where it's just the same tropes over and over, the slurring and the stumbling. And, and, and it's, it is so much literally playing drunk versus someone who is drunk in the scene. You know what I mean? 
And so there's that challenge. And there's very few performances that I can say are just like cream of the crop. I actually think that's going to be a whole other episode is like great drunk acting. If you're looking for a spoiler or a point of comparison, I would say Sandy Dennis as Honey in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. That is, that is Sandy Dennis and Eileen Heckert playing drunk. Like there's the, I think that's like the gold standard, I would say. I haven't seen much better. I will say there, I mean, you know, granted I have a limited catalog, so it might be missing something, but I, you know, I haven't seen Ironweed, so I don't really know if maybe Meryl in that little bucket hat is in fact better than them. But uh, I'm going to dance with the ones that brought me, and I'm going to say Sandy Dennis, Eileen Heckert, and, you know, Amy Poehler in Parks and Recreation. She's so good at playing drunk. It's worth noting. So it's obviously, yeah, it's not easy. And so to make it look easy is, I mean, that's really the job, right? Like, that's really the mountain to climb. Uh, but then the other part of it is that, you know, someone like Sandy Dennis, for example, has opportunities in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf to also be sober or more sober at the very least. So you get to see some levels. Whereas Eileen Heckert does not get those opportunities. She walks in drunk. She announces that she's drunk. She stays drunk. And even in her second scene, she drinks more. And so what's kind of shocking to me is that she, I mean, the script has a lot. There's a lot in there for her to work with that also, you know, just because there's straw doesn't mean there's any guarantee of spinning it into gold, you know, like just because there's a lot of great lines there and a lot of great moments doesn't mean that an actor is going to be able to like capture all of that. So the fact that she does and is never over the top, I don't know, maybe some people think it's an over the top performance or um, one note, but I just, I think they're wrong. I just think those people are misinformed and, uh, and that's all I have to say about that. So today we are we are going to really break down both of her scenes in the bad seed and and just these notes that she's playing and these these emotional turns that she's taking. It's it's really fascinating. And I guess it's kind of nice as we do we get to see Nancy Kelly again, who I hope if you had not been familiar with her before um, and you did listen to the last episode, you grew to appreciate her as much as I do. Um, or you already did, and that's great, because that means my target audience is listening. People who have seen Nancy Kelly in the bad seat and enjoy her performance, I'm talking to you. <laughs> um, but we do get to see Nancy Kelly be the the reactive energy in the room this time versus the, um, the combustive energy in the room, I guess we could say. Um, and so she gets to play some smaller notes, which I think at least shows us some range that, that uh, Nancy Kelly is not just permanently clutching the pillars and 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 slamming her palsied hand against the table and crying oh oh god i love that performance so much so let's now here's the thing is as as i as i dove into this as i dove into uh this performance naturally what happens is that the love grows and blossoms and so not only was i excited by mrs daigle but then it was like well Eileen Heckert. I was like, I, so I know her. I, I think I'd only really seen her in Butterflies Are Free from 1972, which she did win an Oscar for, uh, playing a very different kind of mom, uh, a much more sober mother. And so I, that was kind of always my, when I went through the mental catalog of actresses and, cho- and acting choices and moments, anything filed under Heckert, Eileen was what I saw in Butterflies Are Free. And I think I only saw like the last 
40 minutes of it. And, and that may have been like somewhere around 15 years ago. So I basically haven't seen it. God, this woman is, I, I think that she has made her way, and I don't have a choice in these things. This just happens. She's made her way into that Hall of Fame of actresses. You know, the, these, these obsessions, these Brenda Vaccaro and Zora Lampert and Barbara Harris and Louise Lasser, you know, like have had an, an indelible effect. So let's get into the bad seed. Um, huh. let's get into the bad seed. So Mrs. Daigle enters the movie uh, about 36 minutes in. And I think it's important to note before we get into things what her costume is, what her wardrobe is, because it's pretty much the same in both her scenes. She has a, a very plain white blouse on and a long black skirt. She looks like she works at a convent. Not necessarily that she's a nun, but that she works at the convent. Or she's, it's kind of like, you know, the young nun and sister act. Um, it's like her, except she doesn't wear a habit. But otherwise, she's basically wearing her 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 outfit. Um, and in comparison, because this does come up in dialogue, but Christine, specifically in the first scene, has she has this like striped collared shirt on tucked into this long ankle length pleated skirt. And the skirt has pockets oh and she uses them because nancy kelly if you remember from the last episode doesn't waste her hands she's hand acting she's putting her hands in her pockets of her dress and like there's that thing right when a dress has pockets why would you waste them what a great opportunity so i do want to give it to nancy kelly's hands you know, last last week I was, or last week, last month, uh, whenever I recorded that last episode, I was obsessed with Nancy Kelly's claws, and now it's Nancy Kelly's pockets where she's keeping those claws. So, Mrs. Daigle and poor Mr. Daigle, played by Frank Cady, who is uh, perhaps most well-known for playing Sam Drucker, no relation, in both Petticoat Junction and the Beverly Hillbillies. How do you like that? Uh, but he is, oh, he's so perfectly cast. He's just this little, like, rice grain of a man, this little bald, you know, uh, beta husband uh, married to to dominant Hortense Daigle, uh, who, who, well, despite the dress, certainly wears the pants in that relationship. They arrive at Christine's apartment while Miss Fern, who's the principal of the school, is there talking to Christine, which is important to set up because... What's kind of developing in this conversation after Claude has died and, and some time has passed and Miss Fern has, you know, had some, some interesting conversations with Miss Daigle, uh, who's brought up uh, Rhoda and has, has been asking repeatedly for Miss Fern to come talk to Christine because she feels like Rhoda had seen Claude last and, and you know, would be able to tell her something. Uh, and then there's also the matter of the penmanship medal, the ubiquitous penmanship medal that has gone missing. And uh, I guess apparently Rhoda was was really, you know, she was seen going after Claude at the at the picnic trying to get the medal from him. So the pieces are starting to come together, you know. And just before Mrs. Daigle gets there, they're having this interesting circular conversation where Miss Fern is starting to reveal her concerns about Rhoda without fully saying, I think Rhoda was involved in Claude's death. She is saying, well, she's exhibiting a lot of behavior that has us concerned. And we don't think that she should be coming back to our school. And, and um, at that point, Christine starts to get suspicious. She's like, well, you must, you must think she's involved if you're already saying that she's not invited back next year. Uh, so just to give, to give Nancy Kelly an opportunity to act 
at a at a 4.6 instead of a 42.6. We'll play out a bit of this scene leading up to the doorbell ringing. Does this mean that in your mind and in the minds of your sisters, there's some connection between the Daigle boy's death and Rhoda's presence on the wharf? I refuse to believe there is any connection. But you've acted as if there were. Yes, perhaps we have. Perhaps you... Miss Fern, this has been a terrible tragedy for Mrs. Daigle. As you say, she's lost her only child. But if there's any shadow of a Rhoda because of what has happened, then I have to live under it. And my husband does too. And as for Rhoda, she would not be happy in your school next year. No, she would not. And since she would not, it would be as well to make up our minds now that she will not be there. Well, then there is some shadow over, and you've already decided not to invite her back. Yes, we have made that decision. And you can't tell me why? I think her behavior in the matter of the medal would be sufficient explanation. She has no sense of fair play. She's a poor loser. She doesn't play the Surely game. Surely you're not saying that Rhoda had anything to, to do with the Dago boy's death. Of course not. Such a possibility never entered our minds. I'll have to answer that. Of course, my dear. And so... To set this up, because we're going to go through, I don't think I'm going to skip much, but we'll go through all of the, the real meat of the matter. But Christine goes to answer the door, and I and I want to just kind of give you the visual, of course, that uh, Mrs. Daigle comes in, like charges in right away. And, and it's important to kind of listen to it's important. I don't care what you do. No, I care. Um, uh, but, you know, listen to the way that she delivers the lines and, and the way that she rushes through her first few lines. I always like to think that, Always, since I saw this movie, you know, in the many months. Uh, I like to think that some of these lines at the beginning, or she had rehearsed lines, but she was too drunk to maintain the performance. And then she, because there's a, the, the living room is like a step-down living room from the entryway, and so she stumbles on the step there, which normally you might read that as like, oh, drunk acting 101. But I think in the capable hands of Eileen Heckert, it's, it's this great interruption. You, you see the way that stumbling on the stair um, throws Mrs. Daigle off and whatever, whatever lines she thought she was going to, you know, say, whatever performance that she thought she was going to put on to explain why they were there or, or even what she was just going to say in general seems to leave her mind. And there's this moment of her just stopping and looking at the stair and then looking at Christine. And I think what I read this is, is like she just drops the act like She's already fumbled, just drops the act, and that's when she admits that she's drunk. Yes? Thanks. Why, well, Mrs. Daigle and Mr. Daigle, you didn't have to let us in. You realize we followed you. We shouldn't have done it. I'm a little drunk. I guess you never get a little drunk. You're very welcome, both of you. So as Christine's closing the door and she's saying, you're very welcome, both of you, she looks at Mr. Daigle and Mrs. Daigle, that's when she, she basically gives us everything we need to know about Mr. Daigle. Don't pay no attention to him. He's all for good breeding. He was trying to stop me. How are you, Mrs. Penmark? You've always had plenty. You're a superior person. Oh, no, I'm not. I... Oh, yes. Father's rich. Rich Richard Bravo. <laughs> I know. Famous. Me? I worked in a beauty parlor. 
Miss Fern, you come there. She looks down on me. Please, Mrs. Dagle. I was that frumpy blonde. Now I've lost my boy, and I'm a lush. Everybody knows it. We're worried about Mrs. Daigle. She's under a doctor's care. She's not herself. But I know what I'm about just the same. Just the same. On that last line, but I know what I'm about just the same, She's her body language is, is she's standing and like turning and peering almost over her shoulder at Mr. Daigle and Christine. And it it's... It's these moments, there's these little moments where there, it almost seems like she is totally sober. Like you start to see already the the suspicions and the thoughts and the questions that she's harboring that even she's, I think, trying to avoid by staying drunk. And we'll see a few more of those where it just keeps creeping out. So in this next part, then she pivots again and... I love the way as she as she reengages with Christine, she's got this big toothy smile that is very it's very sweet, but also maybe be, maybe because she's drunk, you also twenty percent don't trust it. And I think that's really interesting is that we don't know if we're dealing with someone incredibly vulnerable right now or uh, someone who is potentially dangerous. But I think as the lines go on and She's talking about Christine's name and her name. I think we really do see like a profound vulnerability. Um, I think whatever dangerous energy she might be carrying is more what I think develops throughout the movie and, and throughout her performance is, is this mother. It's just this like primal mother energy just trying to get answers. And um, I think as this goes on, it's, it's kind of hard to deny that. And, and you can't really blame her for that, you know? May I call you Christine? Oh, I'm quite aware you come from a higher level of society. <laughs> you probably made a debut, all that. I always considered Christine a gentle name. Hortense sounds fat. <laughs> That's me, Hortense. My girl Hortense, they used to sing of me. Hasn't got much sense. Let's write her name on the privy fence. <laughs> Children can be nasty, don't you think? Please, Hortense. I'm obsessed with the way she says, that's me, Hortense. That's me, Hortense. It's worth mentioning that there are a lot of lines that Eileen Heckert just slurs enough for you to understand what she's saying, but not too much where you have to put the subtitles on. And it's such a delicate balance. And I feel like it's in some of that, some of that delivery, like, that's me, Hortense, where it seems like some of her consonants disappear, you know what I mean? Or, Or some of her syllables disappear, like... She, her lines get a little, get a little, blah, blah, blah. they get a little, they get a little garbled. Uh, but I never don't know what she's saying. And I don't know. I just think it's worth noting that, that it'd be very easy in ways that you could fuck up this performance to just go full tilt drunk. It'd also be very easy to not be drunk except for like certain moments. And it's like, oh yeah, I forgot she's drunk. Um, so the fact that she's managed this, this balance is really incredible. So at the end of that line, the, the scene, the, the shot is, it's one of my favorite shots uh, in this movie. And I have to believe it was very similar in the stage production. So when Hortense, when Mrs. Daigle says, you know, kids can be cruel and, and she turns and she looks at Miss Fern. First of all, I wonder what, what is the story between Miss Fern and Mrs. Daigle? I know that Miss Fern goes to Miss Daigle's salon, Mrs. Daigle, excuse me, goes to Mrs. Daigle's salon and so there is some familiarity beyond just Miss Fern being the principal of poor late Claude Daigle. But I almost wonder if, like, 
Hortense and Miss Fern like grew up together if they're from this town. Hortense reads to me as someone who never left this town and grew up here, and I feel like Miss Fern maybe did the same. And so just the way that that's staged or the way that, that, that that's set up, I get that sense that like there's something between these two. Of course, there's more, you know, I, and, and as the scene goes on, we really discover that it's, it's the sense that Miss Fern knows something that she's not telling Mrs. Daigle. But I like the idea that there's an even deeper backstory. So Miss Fern is sitting and we're sort of seeing her at profile and she is the most foreground. And then further behind her, standing next to the couch, you know, standing, looking down at her is, is Mrs. Daigle. And then further back in the background, more to the right, is Christine watching that, kind of just watching with the hands in the, in the pockets, those divine pockets. And then all the way back by the entrance um, of the apartment is Mr. Daigle, who's just standing there holding his hat for dear life. It's, there's a couple shots in the scene that, that use that same setup or go back to the setup. And I, it, it makes me feel like I'm in the third row of, of a live production. I also love it because it reminds me of a similar setup in Poltergeist, which seems like a strange comparison, but uh, I even talked about it in my Poltergeist episode a thousand years ago, Poltergeist and the Power of Moms, if you will. But there's a great shot in the kitchen kind of doing a similar thing with Beatrice Strait, Joe Beth Williams, Craig T. Nelson, and Richard Lawson. Uh, it's, I don't know, I, I'm sure that it's not meant to be an homage, but I just, I love that there's that there's theatrical staging, there's thoughtful staging here. So then there's, again, this really interesting pivot here where, all, where it seems like Mrs. Daigle was kind of locking into something. Mr. Daigle snaps her out of it. She turns and she looks at Christine and she's back to talking about Christine's clothing and, and her exquisite taste. And then she pivots again and she charges to Christine and grabs her by the arm and is pointing as she's, as she's explaining why she's really there. You're so attractive, Christine. You got exquisite tasting clothes, but of course you got ample some money to buy them with. What I came to see you about. I asked Miss Fern what happened to Claude's medal, and she wouldn't tell me a thing. I don't know, Mrs. Daigle. You know Dagle, more truly. you're telling. You're a sly one because of the school. You don't want the school to get a bad name. But you know more than you're telling, Miss Butter wouldn't melt Fern. I think what's really interesting here is how Mrs. Daigle is kind of the antagonizing energy in the room, you know? But when you really think about it and really listen to what she's saying and what she's accusing Miss Fern of, I mean, we we cheer for characters like this, for moms who just want to know what happened to my child or where is my son or, well, you know, I love, like, I love these kinds of characters, these, these mama bear characters. And it's, you sort of forget that watching Mrs. Daigle and as she describes herself as a lush, you kind of just see her as a lush and then you realize this is a woman whose son was killed and she has enough empirical evidence and intuitive evidence you know just that like that mother's instinct that something's wrong here someone's not telling me something and i mean you you just can't fault her for that and i think the fact that she's drunk and she's rough around the edges um could potentially strip away some some sympathy for her but the more I rewatch this there's certainly some sympathetic moments we'll get to but the more I rewatch this it was like you know in a different context this is like one of the this is like a this is Valerie Bertinelli in a lifetime movie just trying to find your child oh my god the, the reason I bring up Valerie Bertinelli is because I had this like flash I've had this flashbulb memory forever of this um, TV movie from the 80s called Rockabye in which Valerie Bertinelli's son is kidnapped while, she, while they're at the mall and is like 
sold into the black market and Valerie needs to track him down and the end of the movie all takes place at a at the airport and I remember seeing it as a kid and being like oh my god let her have her son um she does she gets him back at the very end and hugs him and then it freeze frames so spoiler alert for 1980 whatever's rockabye uh but anyway um I bring that up just because it's like realizing that this is just this is a this is a woman trying to find out what happened to her murdered child um, so there is really a lot to sympathize with here. There's something funny about the whole thing. I said so over and over to Mr. Daigle. He married quite late, you know, in his 40s. <laughs> of course, I want exactly what the fella calls a spring chicken either. <laughs> we won't have any more children. No more. Okay, that little section there is... You, you could give someone an award for all of the notes that she plays just in that section. She, she has that sober moment of like, there's something funny going on here, Christine. I, I said this to Mr. Daigle. And it's like then by saying Mr. Daigle and by, by looking at him, then she kind of gets pulled into thinking about Mr. Daigle marrying quite late in life in his 40s. And the, oh my God, the way she says in his 40s with that big toothy grin. And I, I mean... I think as an actress and a character, you can't help but love Eileen Heckert when she starts laughing and saying, I wasn't exactly a spring chicken myself. Like, it's it's such a delightfully charming, like, self-effacing moment that I just, I think is really, uh, is really lovely, but also really devastating because it's really the setup for this next line of, you know, we won't have any more children. All of that, all of those funny little observations were just to say, without saying it, Claude was our last chance. Like, we'll never have another child. And then she, her face just drops, and then she drops and sits on this little ottoman. And uh, Eileen, I'm going to just call her Eileen. I think at this point, we're first name basis. But Eileen does this wonderful thing a few times in the movie where she, she takes, like, the flat palm of her hand and she pushes back her hair along the side of her scalp. And it's this very vulnerable ashamed embarrassed um choice i don't know there's something about it and she does it again in the in her next scene when i'll certainly highlight it that it's it's something unconscious that mrs daigle does uh when she gets emotional or when she gets caught up in something it's a really great little choice now in this scene it's important to note that there's hortense Mrs. Daigle, if you will, sitting on this ottoman. And and it's sort of like her knees are a bit together and her feet are apart and her hands are sort of between her knees. She's she's not sitting prim and proper on the ottoman the way Miss Fern is sitting in the chair behind her, which if you may remember from the last episode is the acting chair. She's sitting in the acting chair uh, and she's just behind Mrs. Daigle. It's a great shot because we get to see her quietly reacting as Miss Mrs. Daigle is, is going on. Please, Hortense. Let me take you home where you can rest. Rest. Sleep. When you can't sleep at night, you can't sleep in the daylight. I just lie and I look at the water where it went down. Christine, there is something funny about this whole thing. I heard your little girl was the last one to see him alive. Would you ask her about those last few minutes and tell me what she says? Maybe she remembers some little thing. Oh, I don't care how small it is. No matter how small. So when she starts to say the thing about when I heard your little girl was the last to see him alive, 
she there's two things to note. One is Miss Fern behind her eyes bulging, kind of watching this because, because she does know something. And uh, Eileen has she's she's pointing up at Christine. She's like this very strong, like not almost like accusation, but just like grabbing her attention. Now the question is, while she's saying all of this, it seems somewhat innocent, but I feel like Mrs. Daigle. This this is her without saying it, saying that she there's something about Rhoda that seems funny to her. You know, there's something there. There's a clue there with Rhoda. It's not just oh, she was the last to see him alive. I would just I could take any remnant of my son that your daughter may have, any memory she may have for me. It's like no, there's some information that kid has. And then Mrs. Daigle turns and she looks back at Miss Fern sitting in the chair and it's like it's like watching a drag queen preparing to read someone and I, I the line itself like we'll we'll play it here well so she's sitting there she's looking at Miss Fern she's assessing her and then she says you know something Miss Fern dyes her hair and what's fabulous is the way that she crosses one knee over the other and kind of fixes her skirt and then says this line that isn't even like a laugh out loud punchline, but her delivery of it, uh, Miss, and the way she she the way she enunciates, Miss Fern dyes her hair, and then she kind of does this little wink, and Miss Fern turns away in shame, and it's it's a great moment of, I don't know, you you, <laughs> Mrs. Daigle is such a tragic character that you just you want her to win the reading challenge, so to speak, you know. <laughs> But then the the scene cuts back to that shot that I love with Miss Fern in the foreground, and now Mrs. Daigle is sitting on the on the ottoman, but still kind of that same distance, you know, in the background and, and to the side. And she's sitting there with her knees crossed and her hands on her knees, and she's turning and she's looking over her shoulder at Miss Fern, and there's this mix of like contempt and suspicion that like then, if you just watch, it just starts to dissolve into devastation. You know something that you won't tell me. Oh, my poor little Claude, what is that? Princess, Rhoda, I will. Somebody took that metal off his shirt. It couldn't have come off by accident because I pinned it on myself and it had a little lock that clasped in the back. It was no accident. When she starts to cry about Claude, Christine rushes over to her and puts her arm around her. And and those next lines there, the the, the lines about the, the penmanship metal with the little lock... It's it's obviously very emotional, but what I like thinking about watching this is Nancy Kelly and Eileen Heckard are like foreheads pressed together, arms clutching each other. Like they're so intertwined. And I like thinking about the meta of Nancy Kelly and Eileen Heckard doing this scene together and and just the energy, I think, of being in that moment, like especially with Eileen Heckard, who's just I mean, obviously we know that both of them can can act their brains out, but just to to be physically in enmeshed in that moment with Eileen Heckard, I think is really interesting to think about um, and exciting from like just a, from a meta performance standpoint to think of the two of them in that moment together. But then I, uh, Eileen Heckard, Mrs. Daigle, I'm, I'm, who am I talking about now? So I, Mrs. Daigle then pivots into another tangent where I, she gets, I guess, distracted by seeing Christine up close and seeing her clothes up close. And it just takes her in a new, in a new direction. You can wear such simple things, can't you? I never could wear simple things. I couldn't even buy them. When I got them on, they didn't look simple. 
He was such a lovely, dear little boy. He used to say, I was the sweetheart, and he was going to marry me when he grew up. Nice laugh, Joe. You'll forget about me long before then. You'll find a prettier girl, and you'll marry her, and you know what he said then? No, I won't. Because there's not a prettier girl in the whole world than you are. You know, the way that she talks about Claude and this memory of Claude, there's this baby voice that comes out. Uh, I love how she, she kind of r- like rambles and slurs through the line of like, and I just laughed at him. Like, we'll play that again. It's so good. I was the sweetheart. He was going to marry me when he grew up. I just laughed so. You know, I think despite the, the roughness around the edges of Mrs. Dagle and the drunkenness, there are these, these moments, these really sad moments where you see that she loved the hell out of this kid, you know? And, like, they had such a special little relationship. And, of course, I think about Claude Daigle. And, of course, I think that Claude Daigle is going to be gay when he's older. And his mother's his best friend, and he's got the best penmanship in class. Claude Daigle is gay, right? We all know this. He's not going to marry another woman because he's gay. Oh, that breaks my heart when I think about poor little Claude Daigle. Poor, Poor little gay Claude Daigle. And how when he was in high school, the kids would call him Claude Gagel. Anyway. Now, I think we got to let this, this next part play out. But let me, let me talk you through what's going to happen here. So Christine goes to put her arms around her to comfort her. And Mrs. Daigle pulls away. And this is really, I think, the climax of, of Mrs. Daigle in this first scene. And she stands up and she, she starts to back away towards... This isn't the acting chair. It's another chair, but it's a chair against the wall. And... That's when she really starts to release her grief and her suspicions, and you'll hear it. Like, I don't want to, in- it's, it can't be interrupted, this great moment that we'll then go back and talk about. Why you put your arms around me? You don't give a hoot about me. You're a superior person, all that. I'm just, give me, there were bruises on his hands, and that peculiar crescent-shaped mark on his forehead that the undertaker covered up. He must have bled before he died. That's what the doctor said. And where's the medal? Who took the medal? I have a right to know what happened to the favorite Jim medal. If I knew, I'd have a pretty good idea what happened to him. I don't know why you took it on yourself with charge around me. I'm as good as you are. Claude was better than your girl. He won the medal. She didn't. Oh, how good is that? I mean, you know, to see it is everything. To see the pain that that's on Mrs. Daigle's face, the way that she's standing there next to this chair with her with her head down, kind of looking up below her eyebrows suspiciously and starting to ask, where is the medal? I want to know who took the medal. Like, I love that she's, there's that buildup and then that roar that, you know, I love it. I, you know, Nancy Kelly gave it to us. Uh, stop that music. She gave she gave us that moment in the last episode. They're all really paving a path for Tony Collette and Hereditary many years later. But Mrs. Daigle just snapping. I want to know who took that medal. Uh, not to be confused with give me those shoes, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, and, and the way that she says it, let's, you know, I know it just happened, but let's just, let's just play that explosive part, right? Once again, with the avalanche afterwards about the penmanship medal. Who took the medal? I have a right to know what happened to the penmanship medal. If I knew, I'd have a pretty good idea what happened to him. I don't know 
why you took it on yourself with Charles Robbie. I'm as good as you are. Claude was better than your girl. He won the medal. She didn't. I love how she swings her arm on that huge line as if she just, it's like Sally Field in, in Steel Magnolias. She just needs to hit someone. Like it's its this huge gesture that, that it's almost like she has to, phys- there has to be some physicality of that line because it's the only way she can get all of the energy out behind it. Everything is about, I need to know, what, like this is the question. This is the, the roadblock in my life right now is who took that fucking medal that I know I clasped onto his shirt and the only way it would have fallen off is if someone took it off. It's also, I think, important to know, and it took me, I don't know why, a few times to realize this, is that first part of that outburst is all directed at Miss Fern. She's looking at Miss Fern when she says, who took the medal? I want to know who took the medal. And she's standing over her, roaring at her when she says, who took the medal? Like she's, all of this is is, is directed at her. And, and we start to see what that pent up um animosity was in those moments earlier we start to see what that's really about i still think that there is a history between miss fern and mrs daigle that goes way beyond this but maybe that's informing this moment but then there's this that avalanche of lines afterwards where then she turns to christine and this is where eileen heckard is so good at slurring just enough taking all of the punctuation out of every line even spaces out of some of these words and just spilling out these feelings of like you know, I don't know who you think you are putting your arms around me and, you know, my son deserved that medal. He won it. She didn't. I think it's like she has to fixate on that because her mind can't go to what she really wants to say. You know, like oh, there's so much rage about a penmanship medal. Like that's not what this is really about. And I think if she were to try to say what she was really feeling, I, I just don't think, I think she's gotten herself drunk enough where she doesn't have to go there because I think it would just destroy her. To, to ask what she's really asking is like, what did your daughter do to my son? Someone must have done something to him. Uh, there's some foul play afoot here. And again, like it's worth mentioning, that is so tragic for a mother, I don't care what her sobriety is, to suspect that there was foul play in her child's death and no one will answer her. That's so fucked up. And so then I think that's, there's sort of an aria here, right? And then Mrs. Daigle sort of descends again. And this next line here, I think, is the saddest line that she has and is really kind of supporting supporting my points that I was made, making earlier. Uh, but, you know, that that there is something very tragic about Mrs. Daigle here. And I think this next line really sums it up. I'm drunk. Pleasure to stay drunk when your little boy's been killed. And then she curls up on the couch and and the fight is out of her, you know, the, the rage is out of her and, and um she's ready to shut down again. And so then you know, Mr. Daigle comes over to help collect Mrs. Daigle and, and get her up off the couch and take her home. Maybe I better lay down. We'll go home. You can lie down there. Why not? Why not go home and lay down? Goodbye, all. Sorry. Oh, who cares what they think? I drank a half a bottle of bonded corn and a little sip, so I'm drunk as I can be.
I do think that's an interesting note of like, who cares what they think? But then, you know, she has that final little moment with Christine where she admits to, you know, getting drunk and, and she's kind of back in, I don't want to say her happy place, but she's in the safety of drunkenness, you know, like, I think we've all done it. We've all had a drink when we didn't need one, but we thought we needed one because that would make us feel better. And for a few minutes, it made us feel better. And she's in those few minutes. Um, but as we all know, those minutes end and then you feel worse. So off she staggers with Mr. Daigle, who it, it's interesting. You can kind of see him in the hallway as she's st- staggering out of the apartment. And the way he's looking at her is just so sad. I mean, he's not the focus of these scenes. And um, even in, in the second scene, I, he has a very small part of that as well. So uh, I like that we just got this brief moment, this brief micro moment with Mr. Daigle kind of helpless right just as you, when you're watching those interactions and you're watching mrs daigle and you see the way that he is it's like oh yeah mr daigle the best he can do is just like get a doctor to try to help her but there's nothing he can do and so we don't see mrs daigle again until about an hour later into the movie and at that point a lot has happened. Christine has figured out that Rhoda has killed Claude. She's figured out that he's killed him with the shoes. You hit him with the shoes, didn't you? You hit him with the shoes. Oh, let's play that line. Let's play that line. Hold on. You hit him with the shoes, didn't you? You hit him with the shoes. That's how he got those half-moon marks on his forehead and on his hands. Answer me, Rhoda. Answer me! Christine has also had her meltdown with her father. Pretty much almost everything that we talked about in the last episode, a lot lot of the exquisite agony we talked about in the last episode, has happened. In the timeline of events, so you know, a lot of... so, So she's at the point where she knows her daughter has killed Mrs. Daigle's son. She's trying to cover it up. Uh, She's she's starting to deteriorate from all of that. Then Mrs. Daigle comes over, which we're going to talk about. And then after Mrs. Daigle leaves, like minutes later, that's when the whole Leroy thing happens with Leroy getting killed in the basement and the the true like meltdown of Nancy Kelly. And and I got to say, like out of context, that last scene, you know, that that exquisite agony does feel like insanely over the top. But when I think of it in the larger context, when I think of what the second visit does to her and like what it must feel like to to be confronted by this by this grieving mother and to know the truth and to not tell her. I understand why Christine goes to a 27 after that. Like, I, I get it. And, and, and even if it is still over-the-top acting, I mean, I still fucking love it. But, like, I see the narrative there. So, so Mrs. Daigle comes back to the apartment. And now, in terms of who's there, Miss Fern is gone. We don't see Miss Fern again. But the infamous Monica, Monica, is there, and uh, she opens the door for Mrs. Daigle, who is wearing the same long black skirt, but now she's got this this short-sleeved white blouse on. And yes, she's drunk, which she tells us right away. I know you don't want me here, and I don't want to be here, but I can't stay away. So I got a little drunk and came over. Excuse me, please. You're very welcome. But there's something different about Mrs. Daigle in this scene. There's something, it's like Christine knows more now, but so does Mrs. Daigle. I think that Hortense is less drunk in this scene than she was in the first one. And she, and I think it's because she's got, she's got something. Like I think in the first scene and in that stage of her grief, all she has is questions and grief. Now she's starting to form an answer and 
And I think that is more important to her than being too drunk to answer it. She's got to stay drunk enough to handle the questions, but not too drunk to answer them. Does that make sense? Uh, so so there's, there's something a little clearer about her. And I think you even really hear it in her voice, but even in her face, there's just something a little more present. Like a skunk, I know. <laughs> Mrs. Freeland knows everyone, knows even me. How are you, Mrs. Dacre? Well, I'm half seas over, Isabella. I just want to have a talk with your little girl. She was one of the last to see my Claude alive. I know. Where do you keep the perfect little lady who was the last to see Claude? I thought I'd hold her in my arms and we'd have a little talk and maybe she'd remember some little thing, any little thing. She's out playing, I think. Well, I'm unfortunate, that's all. Drunk and unfortunate, ladies and gentlemen. Well, uh, sh she isn't there now. I, I don't see her. She's a perfect little lady. That's what I heard. Never gives any trouble. I think it's also worth noting that right before this happens, Christine has had a meltdown in the kitchen with Monica. And as the doorbell's ringing, Monica's like, I'll go get rid of whoever it is. And Christine just starts crying into a dish rag, like silently sobbing into a dish rag, which I love. I just, I love the drama of crying into a dish rag in the kitchen. But I think it's a great setup for like, Christine is already wrecked. Like, the last thing she needs is another fucking visit from Mrs. Daigle. She's actually, she's pretty slurry in this first scene. So I will say, as, as it goes on, you start to realize that there is an inner sobriety. But she's definitely drunk in the beginning. Uh, the way, Mrs. Brelove, she knows everybody. The way that she says that with this big smile. I also want to mention what a great carryover from the first scene is that when she comes in, she very carefully steps down into the living room and like watches her step versus the last time. And I think maybe that's what I'm picking up on is like, she's definitely still drunk, but she's not going to stumble this time. Now I, I'm actually realizing that I think she has the, the same blouse on that she had in the first scene. She's just pushed the sleeves up, but the shirt is also like half untucked. And like there's, which is great. The, the untucked shirt is an act one gun in the scene for the way that she gets the opportunity that she gets to tuck the shirt in later, which I'll mention. So then there's a bit of a pivot here again, as Mrs. Daigle is wont to do, where she asks for a drink. And I, I love this little section. It's, it's crazy that Eileen Heckert has like opportunities to like get some laughs here um, in asking Christine if she has anything to drink. And it's important to note that Christine responds by bringing a, a bar cart out into the living room, which, which just further eggs on Mrs. Daigle. Christine, have you got anything in the house to drink? Any little thing at all. I'm not the fussy type. I prefer bourbon and water, but any little thing will do. Oh, ain't we swank. Really pleasant aster. I want to have a little talk with Rhoda because she knows something. Oh, but the way that scene ends. Okay, so Mrs. Daigle sort of follows Christine as she's bringing the bar cart around the couch. And then she starts to say that she wants to talk to Rhoda. And as she is finishing that line, if that because she knows something, she takes the little cap off the decanter from Christine. And it's such a period because she knows something and just takes the, the, the little cap. And it, to me, it's like it, it, she's taking control of this moment, you know, like she's making it clear, like she's here for an agenda. And I just, I love the gesture of taking the cap to kind of show, oh, she's not fucking around here. 
she takes the decanter, which I assume is bourbon, and a glass, and she starts to walk around the couch as she continues her lines, talking about Miss Fern and trying to trying to call her a dozen times. And uh, we'll, we'll, of course, we'll let this play out. I call that Miss Fern on the telephone a dozen times. She just keeps giving me that brush off. She knows I'm all right. Oh, are you all right there? Could I? I am not intoxicated in the slightest degree. Kindly don't talk down to me, Mrs. Penmark. I've been throwing up without that. And then, so Mrs. Daigle is sitting on the couch drinking, and the door opens, and Rhoda returns. Rhoda was downstairs getting an ice cream. And I love the, the micro moment of, because there's Christine standing over the couch behind Mrs. Daigle. Mrs. Daigle sitting on the couch mid-sip, looking over the glass. Both of their eyes widen. It's fabulous. It's this great moment because you know it's for two different reasons. And maybe for, sort of for the same reason, right? Because Christine knows that Rhoda killed her son. And Mrs. Daigle is pretty sure that Rhoda killed her son or at least was involved in some way. And I love them both having that realization and of that moment of terror that like Miss Fern had in the first scene here together at the same time. I brought back change, Mother. Very well. Mrs. Daigle would like to see you. So this is your little girl. Oh, Claude spoke of you so often. And in such high terms, you were one of his dearest friends, I'm sure. He said you were so bright in school. So you're Rhoda. Yes. Well, Rhoda, you just come right over here and see me. You come give your Aunt Hortense a big kiss. I love this next moment. So uh, eventually Rhoda concede, you know, concedes and gives her popsicle to Monica, who's just standing at the edge of the couch and... Mrs. Daigle grabs her and puts her arms around her and there's an intensity to it that makes me think of if I could be so heterosexual but that Michael Fredo moment in The Godfather, I think Godfather Part 2 uh, that like kiss of death moment, that's what this feels like it's so intense the, the way that she's holding her, it's like okay I got you now, it's um, it's not like uh, predatory it's not like she's gonna hurt Rhoda but that she's She's going in for the kill in a different way. She's here to, she's going to get her, get her answer now. And so she is sitting there with Rhoda, holding her on the couch, stroking her hair during these next lines. You're the little girl who was with Claude when he had his accident, aren't you, darling? You're the little girl who thought she was going to win that penmanship medal and work so hard, but you didn't win it, did you? Claude won it, didn't he? Now you tell me this. Would you say you won it fair and square? Or he cheated. These things are so important to me now that he's dead. Would you say he won a fair, darling? Because if he did win a fair, then why did you go after him for it? I want my popsicle. Rhoda, if you're going shopping with me, you'll have to come now, darling. Mr. Finchley's going to show us his collection. Right now? Yes, but little ladies it is. Take your popsicle, dear. You can wash upstairs. Now, I love during this interaction that and I just rewatched that scene from The Godfather Part Two, and it is so the same. So if you're a fan of that movie. It's the same intensity of, I know it was you. I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. You broke my heart. You broke my heart. Oh, my God. I love that Eileen Heckert and Al Pacino are, like, in homage to each other. But anyway, um, or really, Al Pacino is in homage to Eileen Heckert, which is how it should be, honestly. Uh, 
but I love during this, and we get one um, dedicated moment of it. We see as Mrs. Daigle is talking to Rhoda, Christine sort of turn and, and walk towards the wall, kind of turn and face away. But I love that there is then this shot that we just see Christine. We see the back of her kind of fixing her hair, like facing away from this moment that just says so much because she knows like it's it has all gotten too close and too real. Here is her daughter who killed Claude and here's Claude's mother and they are in embrace like that's. Uh, I just love that choice. I love that micro moment of like, what does Christine do during this moment? So then I think as the interrogation starts to become clear of like, well, if you, if you thought he deserved it, then why'd you take the medal? Like as it, as they start to get to the heart of the matter, then Monica grabs Rhoda's hand and, and takes her off to their little, you know, shopping date. And uh, it, it kind of reminds me of the scene later when Christine is confronting Rhoda playing the music after Leroy dies and she's slamming on the bedroom door and, and Rhoda opens the door and she says, you know, you knew you could turn away. You could just play the piano. And Monica's like interfering. And it's like, Monica, I need you to get out of here and like, let these women duke it out. Like I need you to let Mrs. Daigle grill Rhoda Penmark about what the hell happened to that penmanship medal. So they leave and, oh, it's so sad. Mrs. Daigle is so um, humiliated, I think, in a way, but also like, oh, she got so close and and it was ripped out of her hands, this opportunity to finally get an answer. And this next part here is where she does that great, that, that great acting choice of pushing her hair back um, when she sits on the couch and she says, practically sure. So listen for that. You won't miss it. It's going to happen in like two seconds. Well, I must say. They really did have an appointment. I'm sure they did. Frankly, sure. I didn't know Rhoda had all these social obligations. Thought she was just like any little girl that stayed home and minded her mother and didn't go traipsing all over town with important appointments. I'm sorry that I interfered with Rhoda's social life. I offer you my deepest apologies, Christine. I'll apologize to Rhoda, too, when I can have an interview with her. So while she's saying all this, and you could probably hear it, she's pouring herself another drink. And there's one moment where the as she's putting the decanter back on the coffee table, it bangs against the lip of the table. And I can't decide if that's something that happened every single night on Broadway and they've just carried it over to the movie or if it was just something that happened in that take and Eileen Heckert just worked with it. But it's like the right thing to happen. It's the, it, it's the detail that I'm looking for on a podcast called In the Details. So Christine is... is pretty wrung out at this point and we can hear it in her voice she's she's getting to that place but then the phone rings and you can't see it of course because it's a podcast but christine goes across the living room to answer the phone and she does this thing nancy kelly does this thing where she pulls the receiver off the wall and it's and it's almost like it it knocks her off center for a little bit it's uh it's it's over the top i'll i'll say this i'll admit it to anybody who's like insists that Nancy Kelly's performance is way over the top. This choice was over the top. I still love it. It's just like way too much. So she answers the phone, and of course it's Mr. Daigle. And oh, oh, so it cuts back. And I'm going to play this for you, of course, because that's what we do here. But while she's talking to Mr. Daigle on the phone, uh, it cuts back to Mrs. Daigle sitting on the couch, and we're really like watching her face as she's listening to Christine on the phone. When she realizes or she hears Christine say Mr. Daigle and she realizes it's her husband looking for her, she has 
it, it's like she silently says, oh, and then kind of like sadly smiles, you know, this tight-lipped smile. It's not the big toothy grin that she, that Eileen Heckert has. It's this um, tight-lipped, resigned smile. Like, oh, all right, I've been caught. And it's, it's an interesting note because it, to see her, I don't know, accept, you know, like she got away. She escaped to the Penmark's apartment to get her answer. Her husband has found her, you know, the, the, the jig is up. You haven't interfered at all. I was not going to contaminate Rhoda in the slightest degree, I assure you. Hello? Oh, uh, yes, Mr. Daigle, I know. She's here. No, not at all. Is it time I was drunk making spectacle of myself? Is it time to call out the patrol oh, wagon? No, no, you heard what I said. I said only that you were here. But she goes for broke one more time. She's not able to get her answer from Rhoda, but she finally reveals everything she knows to Christine and points at her again. I love when Mrs. Daigle chooses to point, and she points at her again and just shows all of her cards. Like, these are all of my suspicions, just short of saying your daughter killed my son. I was only going to hold her in my arms and ask her a few simple questions. Well, perhaps another time would be better. Oh, you think because I'm lit? Well, I'm not lit in the slightest degree. Rhoda knows more than she's told if you don't mind me being presumptuous. I had a long talk with that guard since I saw you last. And it was a long, interesting conversation. He said he saw Rhoda on the pier just before Claude was found among the pilings. She knows some more, right? And Christine, I mean, Christine is practically like catatonic. She just kind of like stumbles kind of away from her with her back to Mrs. Daigle with these big wet eyes. Mrs. Daigle knows this is a lost cause. Oh, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how can I get rid of this pest? You may fool some of that mealy mouth. You look like Ned and the Primer to me. Well, then, perhaps you'd better not come here anymore. Yeah, as you can hear from Christine, from Nancy Kelly's line reading here, if perhaps you shouldn't come here anymore, she is, she is the definition of pathetic at this point. And Mrs. Daigle picks up the decanter of booze and, and circles around the back of the couch again to, re- to put it back on the bar cart with these next lines that are accompanied by the most fabulous shirt tucking in that I've ever seen. And it all starts on the line of her, I'm going home, of her carefully tucking the shirt into her dress and, and, this great line, the way that she plays with the expression social obligations, like she's she's saying it but meaning something else. Like she's using that as this insult of like, oh, apparently your daughter is too busy with her social obligations to answer my questions about my dad's son. Like there's so much venom underneath. I wouldn't come here again for a million dollars laid out on a lot. I want to come here this time by knowing all about Rhoda's social obligations. I am going home. I'm not going to wait for Mr. Daigle. I know where I'm not wanted, and I'm not wanted any place where people have all these social obligations, if you get what I mean. But then, after that great line, if you know what I mean, after that great line delivery, she looks up and she looks at Christine, and we cut to a shot of Christine looking so pathetic. I mean, just profoundly pathetic. And that then triggers this this moment of a, a sympathy and empathy, but also, like, I feel like for Mrs. Daigle, there must be a relief in seeing someone who looks more tragic than her or someone who could be more tragic than her because who could possibly be more tragic than Mrs. Daigle right now? 
And she rushes towards her with her arms outstretched, more like a zombie than a hug. And again, it's this moment of Nancy Kelly and Eileen Heckert just being like face to face during this like intense moment of acting that I love thinking about because they did it together on Broadway and in the movie. Like, I I love thinking about them them creating these intense moments together. You're looking kind of sick and sloppy. Why don't you come up to my house and I'll give you a free beauty treatment if you're hard-pressed for ready cash, it won't cost you a nickel. I think this last part where Christine lets Mr. Daigle into the apartment and and Mrs. Daigle starts to leave with him is really the most devastating. It, I, the, the choice that she makes on this line of, oh God, it's time to go home and like what that means. Oh my God. Like thinking about that, like thinking about like what that must feel like for this woman to have to go home to this home that is emptier than it was before and is full of questions and, and silence and, you know, booze because that's all that, you know, it's the only way she can handle the, the silence and the questions. It, it's such a brilliant delivery and a brilliant choice to show this woman's grief. Uh, so then just before she leaves, she puts her arms around Christine and sobs. And it's so sad because she's right. And I think that's what breaks my heart about this at the very end is that she's right. Mrs. Daigle is on to something. She might be drunk, but she knows something. And Christine won't tell her. And I think that is so dark and so unresolved, right? Like we never, after this, we don't see Mrs. Daigle again. And so as far as we know, she's just left with these feelings of, I know something's wrong and no one will tell me. Thank you, Mrs. Van Marken. Tell Martins, it's time to go home. And so after that, Christine goes to call her husband and tell him everything. And she then can't even make the call because she's so overcome the idea of how does she tell him all of this? And then Monica returns to the apartment. And it's not long after that, that Leroy is killed. And so that's kind of the timeline of things. But um, yeah, and that's, the, that's it. That's the last we see of Mrs. Daigle. So that is Eileen Heckert. In the bad seed. Uh, as I had said in the Christine Penmark episode, there was no way I could possibly talk about Nancy Kelly's performance and Eileen Heckert's in the same episode. Um, and I stand by that. I, I needed to de- dedicate this entire time just to queen out on Eileen Heckert. So thank you for joining me for that. I highly recommend uh, Butterflies Are Free. There's another movie I saw recently called Hot Spell with Shirley Booth who is, I can't believe we haven't talked about Shirley Booth on this podcast yet. We will. We'll have a Shirley Booth episode. But I'm, but Hot Spell, which you can find on YouTube, uh, 
Eileen Heckert has a fabulous supporting role in that as well. If you wanted to find some kind of companion piece, if you were doing an Eileen Heckert double feature and you wanted to go less obvious than Butterflies Are Free or, or any of the other things that she's done, make it Hot Spell. What's the worst that could happen? Shirley MacLaine's in it as well. Shirley Booth and Shirley MacLaine. Come on now. What are you doing still listening to this podcast? So anyway, I think that is all I have to say for today. Of course, I would love to hear your thoughts and your feelings on The Bad Seed, on Eileen Heckert, and really anything. I'm, I'm, I'm down chat, down for recommendations, whatever. All you got to do is drop me an email at inthedetailspod at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Colin Drucker and Instagram at Colin Drucker underscore. And of course, you can hear me on All Right Mary and Best Supporting Podcast. I almost feel like I need to do an Eileen Heckert episode with Nick on Best Supporting Podcast. I think uh, I think it's only appropriate. So who knows? I'll get maybe another chance to queen out on Eileen Heckert, which is a great opportunity. So uh, anyway, that's all I've got for today. And I will talk to you soon. Uh, in the meantime, thank you so much for joining me for another celebration of micro moments, acting choices, and the magic and the minutiae of Eileen Heckert's performance in The Bad Seed. So, yeah. I'm staying.